talk a little bit about Zion Oder. Um, of course, you know, Zion Oder is the yard site of Moshe Rabbeinu. It's also the birth of Moshe Rabbeinu. And I want to dedicate the class also in memory of my father, of blessed memory, whose yard site is also Zion Oder. And um, one of the things the Rebbe talks about Zion Oder is that Moshe Rabbeinu is the one that gave us the Torah. And therefore, that's the Zichru Torah Moshe Avdi, remember the Torah of Moshe, my servant, or Torah Tzivalonu Moshe. So we have Torah and Moshe are synonymous. So I'm thinking of it, my father, of blessed memory, if we remember him for something unique, he was always studying Torah. So he was, it's, it's, it's very fitting that the um, Zion Oder is the day that he passed away together with Moshe Rabbeinu because he honored Moshe Rabbeinu's Torah by always, always making sure to study and to never waste really a moment and always uh, seeing to making classes and learning and by himself and just always busy with Torah. That was his, uh, that was uh, beautiful. So, and one of the one of the things is that usually connected to the parsha of Tetzaveh is that Zion Oder, the seventh day of Oder, always comes out near um, near Parsha's Tetzaveh. In other words, like this year, this week is the parsha of Tetzaveh. Today is Tuesday of the Shlishi Parsha's Tetzaveh, but the whole section is the Parsha's Tetzaveh. So the commentators say, they comment, they say that actually uh, this is the only parsha from when Moshe Rabbeinu was born that Moshe Rabbeinu's name isn't mentioned. The only parsha that doesn't have the name of Moshe is the portion of Tetzaveh. We don't find Moshe's name in the parsha of Tetzaveh. That's represented by why? Because Moshe Rabbeinu passed away on the Zion Oder. So he sort of, his passing is hinted in the Parsha by the fact that it's not mentioned over there. It goes even more than that. It's explained uh, that Moshe Rabbeinu, after the Jewish people, after they sinned with the golden calf, when he came down from the mountain, he saw with the tablets, he saw they built the golden calf. Moshe Rabbeinu was very upset. But God was even more upset. And God said, I'm going to wipe out the Jewish people. That's it. I'm going to wipe them out. And Moshe Rabbeinu started pleading their case before Hashem. But one of the things, powerful things that Moshe Rabbeinu said to Hashem, basically, he gave him an ultimatum. (laughs) He said to Hashem, either you forgive the Jewish people, and if you don't want to forgive them, then I want you to erase me from your book. I basically want nothing to do with the Torah anymore. I could mean that's speaking to Hashem like that, and especially the Torah was something which was one with Moshe Rabbeinu, but yet Moshe Rabbeinu's love to the Jewish people was even greater than his love for the Torah, that if Hashem is not going to forgive the Yidin, then he is the Jewish leader. You know, they once asked, there's a Rebbe brings down, they asked, what is more important, loving Hashem, loving God, or loving a fellow Jew? What's more important? 
So the Yom Yom that brings it down, he says, well, the answer is loving, loving a fellow Jew. Why? Because when you love a fellow Jew, you love whom you love, the, whom you love loves. Since Hashem loves a Jew, so when you're loving the other Jew, you're loving the one Hashem loves. Hashem loves the Jew. So therefore, that's even uh, on a higher, that comes first, you know, the fellow Jew. But in any event, Moshe Rabbeinu was a true, strong leader. And he insisted that Hashem forgive them, otherwise he doesn't want any part in Torah. We have to be very careful with things we bring out from our mouth. A lot of times we say something, and even if we don't mean it, or even we make it a condition, but we said it out of our mouth, that's already a very, very serious thing. It's another Hayyum Yom, it's brought down, that one time there was in a shul, there was a fight going on between two people over there in the shul. It's the usual stuff, it didn't start over here, it started way back. And there was like a real argument going on, and one of them was very angry. I'm not sure exactly, he doesn't say what they were fighting about. But one said, if I was able to, I would rip him like a fish. i rip him apart like a fish. That was a very, very strong statement. And the Baal Shem Tov usually would, when he came, he would, Shem Tov would see things, but the way he would share things with his students, he would be, he would put, he would make a circle, the people, He'd make like a closed circuit. He put his right hand to one student on his right side, and he put his left hand on the other side, and they in turn put their hands on each other. They formed a tight circle. And then all of a sudden, the students started screaming. Why? Because they saw how this fellow was ripping his opponent. He was ripping, even though he just said it. If I had the opportunity, I would. But just he brought it out of his mouth, at some level it already came into fruition on a spiritual level that the Baal Shem Tov can see and can show to his students. Sometimes when you say a negative or something when you say a curse. Now, in this case, Moshe Rabbeinu made a curse. He says, I want to be erased from the Torah. That's considered to be a klola or bad for him. He wants to be erased from the Torah. Now, he made it conditional because he said that I'm only, erase me if you're not going to forgive them. But what happened in the end? Hashem forgave them. Yet he was still erased. And yet, somehow it has to be erased a little bit. Mm-hmm. And the reason why we choose the portion of Tetzaveh is because that's close to his passing, as we said. So that's why the portion of Tetzaveh. So this is sort of almost like a punishment for... Mm-hmm for Moshe Rabbeinu, it seems. But it's a little bit hard to, to comprehend. Here, Moshe Rabbeinu is fighting for the Jewish people. He's not fighting. Why would he be punished? You know what I mean? To have his name erased. But if you really look at it closely, what's the name of the Parsha? Ve'ato Tetzava. What does it mean, Ve'ato, and you? Who's you? Moshe Rabbeinu. So while his name is not as to say there, but, you know, it all started off with the beginning in the Parshish Truma, which it starts off, Hashem says to Moshe, speak to the Bnei Yisrael, and they should take the Truma, etc. It keeps on going on, and then it goes on, Ve'ato and you, who's you? Moshe Rabbeinu. Who's Titzave in a singular, you should instruct? Moshe Rabbeinu. 
So his name is not there, but you are to instruct. Then it says, should take the olive oil, and they should bring it to you, and then you bring it to whom? Aaron Achicha. Aaron, your brother. Whose brother? Moshe Rabbeinu's brother. So the, uh, the, the, the thing over here is that it's a little bit of a paradox. On one hand, we're saying that his name is not mentioned over here. But on the other hand, we have you, you, you. Now, a name of a person is really considered to be a, super, a, a superficial part. Mm-hmm. A person doesn't need a name. That doesn't. A name is just somebody. If you need somebody to call me, then I should turn to him. So you have a name. But you could be by yourself. You don't have a name. You know, when you're born, I mean, you got your soul, you got your intellect, you got whatever. The name, sometimes you have to wait eight days for a name. Sometimes you have to wait a while. And there could be a name is not... It's not your essence, you know, the name you have. A person can live a whole life without a name. Unfortunately, you know, people don't get a Jewish name altogether. You know, they only get a non-Jewish name. So the Jewish name they get maybe later on in life, you know, so they're their real name. So the point here is a name is only an external part of the person. It's not really the person. What the person is, is when you say to somebody, you... That's a much deeper, say you, you know, you're talking actually to the person himself. So while Moshe Rabbeinu lost his name, there's no Moshe over there, but there's you over there. There's actually even a greater level because it points to the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu um, really did the right thing and he really is being blessed. So while on the external level, as we we're going to see a little bit more, on the external level, uh, Zion Adar, the day of the seventh day of Adar, is a sad day. You know, actually, there is, in the Halacha, people fast on the seventh day of Adar. People fast on the seventh day of Adar. Uh, and yet, the seventh day of Adar is also considered to be a, a day of celebration. Uh, we don't find a holiday of the seventh day of Ador, but seventh day of Ador is considered to be a day of celebration. How so? so a few examples. Um, in the Gemara, for example, sometimes people would accept upon themselves a certain level, let's say, uh, to become a Nazir. A Nazir. A Nazir. A Nazirite means that for 30 days you're not going to drink wine, you're not going to cut your hair, you're not going to touch, come in contact with a, with a dead body. You become a Nazir, has special lochas. What happens, the Gemara asks, what happens if somebody says, okay, I want to be like Moshe Rabbeinu on the seventh day of Ador. What does he mean, the seventh day of Ador? What did he mean when he said the seventh day of Ador? So the Gemara, Toysus explains with it, what is, what's the question? Does he mean, like when Moshe Rabbeinu died, which is a day, a sad day, supposedly, which is a fasting day, which people have accepted upon themselves, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, seri- very serious, uh, and therefore he's really, wants to become a Nazir, because he may, or does he mean 
the seventh day of Ador that Moshe Rabbeinu was born, which is a celebration. So we're not sure what he means. So, but you see, you get the idea that the seventh day of Ador is actually also a day of celebration. Another thing, coming up to Purim, coming up to Purim, so uh, it says that Haman was throwing lots to try to kill. What, what is the meaning of the word Purim? What does Purim mean? Lottery. Lotteries. Why is the name of Purim called Purim? Because, why we call it Purim? That's the day it fell, the wheel fell, the, the day. Those were the lots that Haman, good, Haman put out, and it fell on what? It fell on the day of Purim. It came out on the day of the month of Ador. Now, that's a whole other question. Why do we call the name by the lots that Haman tried to throw against the Jewish people? We should, uh, you know, we should better call it the name by the miracle. You know, why do we call it Purim, you know? Also, why, do we, why don't we call it the Hebrew name? Uh, Gorolot, Gorol, we say Pur Hu HaGorol. Why don't we call it Gorolot? Like, uh, you know, like the dreidel, spin the dreidel, you know? Or why, don't we call, why do we call it Pur? And, you know, and also we call it, it's a whole other discussion, we call it Megillat Esther. Esther means hidden, Haster Aster. And the name of Hashem is not mentioned in the Megillah. But this is all the idea, that's a separate idea of the Megillah is trying to tell us, the Purim, that even under Persian, under, you know, you don't even have Hebrew openly, you have hidden, you don't see Hashem's name, Hashem's presence, you don't have God's name in the Megillah. Megillat Esther, you know, we're going to reveal the Esther. That's one of the ideas over here. But the, um, the um, so Purim has also the hidden meaning, you know, and so openly yeah, it's uh, that that the, the, the reason. So what happened with uh, Haman? So Haman came because he read the Purim and made his lotteries, and then he came up with the lottery. For the, he was very happy. Why was he so happy? Why was he so happy? Because he says, "Oh, I'm going to be successful." The month of Ador. Why am I going to be successful? Because Moshe Rabbeinu passed away. So he says, ah, that's a day that I will be able to get them. But the Gemara says he didn't know that Moshe Rabbeinu was also born on that day. So what does it mean? So it means that had it only been the day that Moshe Rabbeinu's passing he could have been successful, it seems like. But he didn't know that Moshe Rabbeinu was born, which means that the birth of Moshe Rabbeinu is the celebration which brought about that salvation. So you see that um, Zion Adar has in it also this idea of celebration. Rashi actually seems to imply, not only does it also have celebration, Rashi says the day of birth can override the day of passing. So that means the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu was born on Zion Adar has more power than that Moshe Rabbeinu passed away on Zion Adar. So why don't we celebrate the people who have passed birthdays 
as well as the yurt sites? Well, we don't, so the yurt sites, so here what we're going to say is the point we're trying to bring out is that on a revealed level, a yurt site is a sad day. You know, it's a sad day. We fast on it because on the open, the person left this world. We don't have a connection like we used to have with that person. With Moshe Rabbeinu, who's a tzaddik, we don't have our connection. But yet, on a deeper level, we get even a deeper connection than we had while they're here. So, yes, this celebration sometimes is, is so deep that we can't, it doesn't come out in a open way. Uh, it's like the real celebration is actually hidden. But it's hidden, but it's much more powerful. It's powerful in a way that it cannot come out in the open. What we're trying to bring out is like by uh, the Parshas Tetzave, like we're talking about. So while his name is not there, but the essence of his being is actually there. So the day of Zion Oder is not only a, a sad day. You know, when we fast, there are basically two reasons for fasting. Sometimes we fast because it's a sad day and we worry about, oh, maybe we're going to do something wrong. So we want to make sure, let's fast on this day so we will uh, sort of be cautioned and not cause ourselves any more problems. But sometimes the, the idea of a uh, fast day is for us because... We won't actually do teshuva. You know, the fasting is part of our doing teshuva on a day. It's not a sad day. It's level of teshuva. Rebbe says that the Zion Ador is basically, it's not a, it's not a day of guilt. It's not a bad day. Zion Ador, Moshe Rabbeinu is passing. And the Rebbe proves this is a whole long discussion. I'm not going into, it's hard to give over the whole, the whole talk. But it's, it's a very positive uh even the fasting that we do is a way of our expression of closeness to Hashem that comes even with joy. So Moshe Rabbeinu, we fast and we don't have his name. On the revealed level, he departed. But on a deeper level, it says about old tzaddikim that while they are in this world, they have certain limitations because they are in a physical body and because they're in a physical body, they can't function, they can't do certain things because of their limitations. But once they leave their body, so they actually have a stronger connection. So we are actually stronger connection. So are we going to go dance when the tzaddik passes away? You know, only by Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechoi we actually do. Uh, like Bomer, we actually do. But in most cases we don't dance when the tzaddik passes away. Because we're looking at it from the simple shot level, from the simple level. But the simple level is Moshe Rabbeinu's name has been erased because it's not there. But at that same time, we actually earn and we reach into a deeper level in which we connect with the tzaddik's essence, with his va'ato, with the idea of the tzaddik. It's interesting, the Rebbe brings down, I was thinking... Uh, Rebbe brings down that um, uh, the word tetzave 
Let's do some quick math over here. The word Tetzavah equals 501 in the Gematria. It says that the word Tetzavah is 501. Um, and the Rebbe says that the number 501 represents is one more than 500. You know, 501 is more than 500. 500 represents the world, revelation. 501 represents one beyond revelation. Why? Because it says that Hashem went 500 mil to make himself a name. The 500 mil that Hashem went, that means the world. In the Gemara it says that he went 500 mil to earn for himself a name. I wanted to say something. I want to bring it out. I did a little gematria for my father as well. <laughs> so uh, over here, it's the number. The Rebbe talks about uh, the number five hundred and five hundred and one. Five hundred, and also we know that five, the soul, consists of five parts of the soul: nefesh, ruach, neshama, chaye, yichida, and every five. Its wholesomeness is when it becomes a hundred, because it's it's basically five times a hundred, which makes five hundred. That's the that's the soul. The five hundred one represents one extra. The Rebbe says, "Tetzave Moshe is the revealed. It's just the name. It's the external. But the Tetzave you command. That's five hundred one. That goes even higher." In a similar way, the Rebbe says there are 101 uh, Pesukim in the portion of Tetzaveh, 101, which equals the name Michoel. Michoel equals 101. And 100 represents the world, Hishtalshalus. 101 again is one above, it has 101 verses. Uh, we find, like in the Talmud, the Marshal brings down that um, the uh, Talmud says, uh, somebody, Talmud talks about, the Al-Turebi discusses this, that um, one should always do, break themselves to do a little bit more. So the Gemara, the Gemara talks about, the Tanya talks about there, about a, um, somebody who's a servant of Hashem, as somebody who's not a servant of Hashem. Who's considered a servant of Hashem? He says, one who studies his studies 101 times. Who's considered to be not a servant of Hashem? Just 100 times or less. 101 times, he says. Not a servant? 101 times. I thought you said that's what is a servant. Huh? I thought you said a servant of Hashem. Is 101. Yeah. And a non-servant is called 100. Yeah. What's the reason for that? Because a servant means you work hard. The people, the nature was that they used to study things hundred times. So if you did the normal thing that you did, you did a hundred times. If you go to shul, you daven, you learn, you do the regular things, regular. You're not a servant of Hashem. You're not pushing yourself. You're just doing. You know, it's like when you exercise, do one more. <laughs> one more turn, one more, do an extra. So that extra one is considered because 
It's more than you do. If every day you're used to doing this, and then you push yourself, do one more. I mean, we're talking about a spiritual level. To serve Hashem, you're pushing yourself a little more. That makes you a servant of Hashem, because you have to push yourself. So, but it's really connected with that when you uh, do a hundred times, uh, that is related to the nefesh ruach and neshama, he says, that's a hundred times. But to get to that hundred and one time uh, more, then you got to get into your godly part of Hashem, which is in you, which is even higher than your regular soul, to push yourself a little bit more. And, and the Rebbe he gives this idea that uh, here we're talking about the essence of Moshe Rabbeinu and this came out in the level of the portion of Tetzaveh. So at the end of the day Moshe Rabbeinu didn't lose out and we didn't lose out. We actually, Moshe Rabbeinu uh, came, inspires us even more and gives us even more from this level. And Zion other is not only a uh, sad day. I know there's actually a day of uh, celebration. So I I try to figure out. Uh, why did it be in Michael? Huh? Because 101, the Malach Michael is where the word Michael, just that's a sign for 101, to remember when there's 101. The, in the back of the Siddur in the Chumash, they always tell you how many Psukim there are. But how are you going to remember? So they put always a something to remember. So they put the name Michoel. So you remember how many psukim is there in the parsha of Tetzaveh. So you remember the word Michoel. Michoel equals 101. So that's how you're going to remember. Otherwise, it's hard to remember. I told the people also, you know, in, 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 you make yourself a sign to remember certain things. You know, in the, when we read, this Shabbos is going to be parsha Zohar. So when you read the Zohar, you read, sometimes you say, Zecher, Zecher. You were doing this for the Allen, right? And sometimes you say, Zecher, Zecher. How do you know? I mean, you, every time you have to look, but how are you going to remember? How are you going to remember? In other words, there's two possibilities. Either to read, Zecher, Zecher. Either with a, either with a segel, it's either Zecher, or it's Zecher. Either a segel, or at Seir. Yeah. There's two times in the Torah, one in the Parshas B'Shalach, it says Zecher, or Zecher, and once in the portion of Kiseitze, it says Zecher, Zecher. How do you know, how do you say it where? So I figured out a sign to remember this is because Kiseitze has a Tzere. Kiseitze. So whenever you're reading Kiseitze, you say Zecher, Zecher. Whenever you're reading B'Shalach, you say Zecher, Zecher. So I'm saying, you have to make yourself a sign to remember how to read it based on the punch. So you make, this is my, Michoel is just meant as a, uh, as a hint to remember that. I think I figured out, I had a, I think I figured out that the name, Nochum Ben Tzvi, which was my father's name, Oliver Shalom, together with the word Zion Other equals 450. Mm. Actually equals 470. So again, Nochum Ben Tzvi and Zion Other equals the uh, equal of the 70. Now,
we know in the Pirkei vote, it says, and I mentioned earlier, that my father mainly, uh, uh, one of the main things of my father was the study of uh, Torah. The Torah was something, and uh, was something that was very, very dear to him. Actually, um, the, uh, the Mishnah says that Malchus, royalty, is acquired through 30 uh, ways, 30 miles, 30 miles. And we know that the, um, that the people that learn Torah, they are called royalty. Royalty because they have the level of Malchut. Because with Torah, you get certain powers. You get the powers of Hashem and you get to rule and you get to yourself because Torah, because we, we, we talked about it, it says if you just have Torah yourself and you don't have Yerat Shemaim so Kol Ha'imer Enli Elo Torah, Afilu Torah Enlo that if you say I only have Torah and you don't apply the Torah, what you learn, you don't even have Torah I was saying this morning that uh, my father, in addition to his love for Torah, that he always learned Torah, but he actually took his Torah to the next level, which means that he made sure, A, when he started out back in Russia, he made sure that the was people were learning Torah and the children were uh, taken care of and that there was at a great risk of his own life and his own safety, and he... He did it in a, a very dedicated way. And also at the end of his life, uh, in the middle he was sort of just learning Torah for himself. He didn't really, he always, you know, went to classes and always gave classes and always learned. But at the end, towards the end, the last of his life, uh, the Rebbe founded Tiferes Levi Yitzchok. That's the uh, a special organization, a special place where older people can come together and study. As you know, that in uh, the culture currently is that once you reach a certain age, you almost become useless and uh, people don't pay attention to you. And at work, it's hard to get a, it's hard to get a job at work. It's hard, even if you have, you know, qualifications. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, a lot of older people feel uh, that they can still they have a lot to give, they can be very productive, and they are productive, and in, in a lot of ways, they can they have the maturity level and the experience, life experience, that they can, while the younger people think they know it all, but that's not really the case. Some of the old time, the older people, they have a lot of experience. And what happens is, the older people don't have a place, so when they retire, sometimes they're forced to retire, sometimes... There's nothing for them to do anymore, or they don't. They're not. They don't get a job, and they don't have what to do. So, while in the general society we have different clubs and things that seniors can go to, but for people who grew up religious, who are Hasidic and who are uh, Torah Jews, there was really no uh, place for them to get together. I mean, they're not going to go play cards or. Uh, play games or do other things, give them a lunch or, you know, just make, like, entertainment. That's not their lives.
in Crown Heights, which has a large community, and there was nothing for these people to, to, to really do. And my father, may rest in peace, he, uh, he, uh, he took the initiative to push for this. The Rebbe actually started it. But my father threw himself into this, and he helped organize it, and he helped. But not only that, that he saw to it that if there was elderly people that needed a ride or they needed to be taken to the car, you know, some elderly people didn't have their mind, so they would end up in the wrong house, so he made sure that they went to the right place. You know, he, he, he took very, very care. I'm very, very uh, proud of knowing what my father did, that he was really a, a very kind person to help the other people. Uh, my mechutin, I mentioned, mentioned me that his father said that, uh, that my father would always make sure that his elderly father, who was really wasn't old, old altogether all there, he helped him to get to the car, and one time uh, he was late in coming but my father would not leave the, after it finished by one o'clock, whatever it is he would not leave until this person was safe in his uh, in, in his safety and uh, many times my father would, even though it was hard for him to walk himself so far but he would take the person to his home if there was nobody there to take him he would do that, and he got involved in a lot of things. I also mentioned that uh, the um, in the shul, you know, a lot of times, just like in the uh, workplace, so you have elderly people coming to shul to daven, but uh, they they feel almost like nobody has. Okay, they daven, but nobody goes over to them. Nobody uh, asks them as if you know they have nothing to offer, and they they feel uh, neglected. I guess. They don't feel appreciated. They don't feel nobody gives them any attention. We all need attention. Everybody wants attention, you know. They don't get any attention. And my father used to have this thing that he would always go over to the older people in the show. He was older himself, but they were older than him or his age. He said, "Tell me about your life's experience. Tell me a little bit what where you were and what you did." That just made them feel okay. of value. Just giving them some, uh, you know, giving them some value. That was it. Was his was really a, a, a good person in that way that um, and also throughout his uh, his life he was always um, always um, you know forgo forgive you know mm-hmm. whenever there was there could be like a disagreement you know uh, where is our family going for Pesach <laughs> are we going to our son or we're going to, you know, whoever but they said we don't want any hard feelings. They would always back off. My father would be the first one to say, you know, whatever. Let's. It was a, a man of peace, a man of uh, a gentle person that only wanted that. And uh, I don't remember him ever getting angry. Yeah. Only time he did get angry that he uh, never never raised his voice, never, never, and I don't remember, I say never, I mean, but I don't remember him raising his voice. The only time that I, that he, he got, when I did something dangerous, you know, I remember, like, if I crossed the street without looking properly, then he would mm-hmm. sort of, uh, you, know, uh, yell, you know, yell at me, or, or he, you know, when he saw some of the other kids, like, 
doing some unhealthy stuff like some kids were smoking. You know, he told me he was very, very strong. Like I was petrified if I did something wrong. I mean, that, so that was that was the only his strong place was, you know, to protect us, you know, our safety. That's when he came across stuff. So he did have, you know, like the, the but other than that, you know, he was never in. I don't know if he had an enemy in the world, you know, he didn't didn't have, uh, you know, he didn't have, but so his Torah that he learned made him a king because he was in control of himself, you know, he was controlled. The Torah that he taught made him into a good person. So he just didn't learn Torah, but he didn't. He made him into a king. So if we add that to the kingdom, that would make him 500. But the Torah is 48, which goes above 500. I didn't get that exactly. It goes above that. Um, and I think that with his passing, just like all righteous people, that as they go on and this year, is 18 years since his passing. So, you know, I all I can say is that uh, I pray that I would live up, that my children should feel about me the way I feel about my father. You know, in other words, like I adore him, I respect him, I, uh, I really, um, you know, think of him, you know, very specialist, especially, you know, it gets you you know, upset, the hardship they had to go through, why they didn't do anything, they were gentle, good people, they didn't bother anybody, and then yet they suffered so much in the Soviet Union and the, and the former Soviet Union, you know, and they, they had, why did they have what to go? Year, what, what's when they left? Uh, they left after the war, they left in 40, in 45, they left in 40, 46, you know, 40, 46. Um, you know, after after the war, there was an opportunity. You know, they to escape over there, and most of the Chabad people, most of those that made it, some didn't make it. You know, a lot didn't make it, but they, and you know, they had plenty. You know, my father was already in you know middle age already started when he came. They didn't have a job. They didn't have any money. They didn't have, uh, but. You know, it's so beautiful to see that, you know, they're posting on these a family uh, WhatsApp. All the Nachams that are named after my dad, Kanai Nahara, you know, there's many, many Kanai Nahara. So, who in the end of the day, who wins? We do, yes. not the enemies, not the, not those who try to uh, obliterate and take away Yiddishkeit and take away, they didn't win. We don't, we're sitting yeah. here by the class and remembering yeah. and, and celebrating Zion Oder and we're saying that Zion Oder is not a sad day but it's actually a day that brought us Purim, that brought us Pesach because Moshe Rabbeinu, that he was born. That's how we have, that's how we have Pesach. And because Moshe Rabbeinu was born, that's why we have Purim because it was his birth that overrode his death. That's why uh, Haman couldn't do what he did. So... We are the end of victories. We are the one victorious. So, what does it tell us? It tells us, look, there's sometimes there's dark clouds. Sometimes there's haster. Hashem hides himself. Whether it's as a community for Yiddishkeit in general, whether it's in our own life, sometimes we have struggles and we don't see and it's dark. But we have to reveal Megillah Sester. We have to know what happened with the Esther. You know, it wasn't that... Uh, before, okay, they used natural means, they sent her to the king, but they fasted, and they 
they they knew it's you know you 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 need to do the spiritual part, and then they Hashem Hashem will do the. Uh, the, 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 the physical part, you know, so you've got to try and make a as they say, in the physical way, but we have to trust Hashem. But while our history had so many uh, pitfalls and we had so much suffering, but at the end of the day, we're here. I'm Yisrael Chai, you know, at the end of the day, we're here and we're celebrating against all odds, against all uh, projections, against any logic, and we're, as the Medrash said it even back then, we were one sheep amongst 70 wolves, and yet we're here. Mm-hmm. And we're celebrating Purim, and we're celebrating Zion other. and did we pay heavy prices on the way? Did we suffer a lot? Yes, we did. Yes, but uh, history tells us that we'll come out on the top at the end, and we're just waiting for the final redemption for Mashiach to come, and then, then we'll all see, all see. You know, while it's taken so long and it's been so difficult, and we're sort of, it's Hester, it's our heads. We we don't want to really believe because it's how could it be? You know, how could it be? It's not possible. It's just so we're waiting for it to happen, and when it happens, then we will, uh, you know, then we'll celebrate, then we'll say that, you know, it's all true, and we'll be able to serve Hashem on a different level, not Megillah's Hester, it will be the revelation, the revelation will be there. Hopefully this happens soon with the coming of Mashiach.